Council. And I just want to thank the children's leaders. I tell you what, I think we have one of the best programs, children's programs around. So um, I know they love working with those little ones. I just want to also thank you for those of you who brought canned foods or items for the food pantry. Thank you, thank you so much. And I know that Northside will really appreciate it and it will be put to good use. I know some of you walked in and you saw the cart sitting there and you were like, oh, I forgot. Their food pantry goes on all year. So I know that if you wanted to bring it any time during the year, they'd be more than happy to take it. So feel free to do that. But thank you so much for your help. Well, after all that wonderful singing of the kids, now we get to jump into Revelation. (laughs) And if you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus had taken the scroll with the seven seals, which we said was the title deed to earth, and he began opening that one seal at a time, which started the seal judgments on the world. And then in chapter 7, before Jesus opened the last seal on the scroll, we saw that there was a pause or an interlude in the judgments while 144,000 Jewish evangelists were sealed with God's supernatural protection so that they could go throughout the world preaching the word of God and the truth about his son, Jesus Christ. And then John was given a preview of the results that these 144,000 evangelists would have. Remember, he saw a, a multitude so large that no one could count the number from every nation, every tribe, every language, every people of those who had put their faith and trust in Jesus during the tribulation time. And now they were standing in heaven, dressed in white robes, before the throne, before the Lamb of God, praising and worshiping him. And then after this interlude in chapter 7, we're going to pick back up now in chapter 8, where chapter 6 left off, as Jesus opens this last and final seal on the scroll. When this seal is broken, the scroll will be completely open. Now, we've had this diagram of the way things lay out, because I know it can kind of get confusing. But remember, when the seventh seal is opened, it contains the seven trumpet judgments. And then the seventh trumpet judgment contains the seven bowl judgments. But all of these judgments are contained within the seven-sealed scroll that Jesus began to open in chapter 6. This scroll contains the complete wrath of God and will culminate ultimately with the return of Jesus to reclaim what is rightfully his. So there's a progression in the opening of the seven seals, which leads to the seven trumpets and then the bowls of wrath. Each one of these is a measured judgment with a pause or an interlude in between each section. And also keep in mind that throughout all of this, Jesus is in complete control and is in charge of the judgments and of their timing. So, if you're ready to dive in this week, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Revelation chapter 8, and we'll pick back up with the seal judgments where uh, chapter 6 left off. But before we do, let's pray and ask the Lord to be our teacher, shall we? Father, I can't imagine what it does to your heart 
to hear these little voices just in complete abandon singing praises to you, knowing that those seeds of truth are being planted deep in their hearts. And Holy Spirit, I just pray along their lives that those seeds would be watered and and, and tilled and, and that they would take deep root and grow and, and bring these children, all of them, to saving faith in you and for the mighty plans and, and abundant life that you have in store for each one of them. I thank you for their parents and their grandparents who have kn- know the priority of bringing them here to have the word of God planted and that they are doing that at home as well. Thank you for their, their desire to follow you. And Lord, we are reminded too still of Israel. And we just lift up the leaders there and ask that you would continue to give them wisdom and discernment. And we know that they, you, they are your special people and that you do have your hand of protection on them. We just pray that you would guide and direct them and keep them in our minds and in our prayers as well. So now, Lord, as we take your word, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would take the word that we read, bring it to our hearts, deepen our hearts, and give our minds understanding, because without you, we cannot understand it, and without you, we can't apply it. But help it not just stay in our heads, but to go deep into our lives so that we will be changed people and look more and more like your son. We pray that Jesus is lifted high today, and it's him that we want to please. And it's in his name we ask. Amen. Okay, this little stand is not going to stay up today, is it? Let me just move it over here for a minute. All right, have you found chapter 8? All right, how about we read it together? When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a gold censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels, who had seven trumpets, prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the grass, green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. 
A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. <coughs> Sounds like great news, doesn't it? When Jesus opens his final seal on the scroll, there is complete silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now we know that there's no time in eternity, but apparently in John's vision of the future, time was something that he was still aware of and and he could still measure in some way. But up to now, heaven had been ringing with praises and filled with songs from the elders and the martyrs and Thousands and thousands of angels. But when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, suddenly everybody abruptly stopped their singing and everything went completely silent. Now this must have been the only time in history when heaven was silent, except for maybe at the death of Jesus on the cross. As I said before, until now, the book of Revelation, and we see heaven has been continuously ringing with thousands of voices. Song after song of praise and worship has been lifted up. But suddenly, every voice is quiet. Every instrument is still. No one made a sound. Now, we don't know the reason for the silence. It wasn't given to us in the Bible, but... The Lamb of God is still holding the scroll. Every angel is in place to carry out more judgments. But no commands are heard. No one is speaking. Now remember, back in chapter 7, the winds of judgment had been held back and there was stillness on earth. Now, at the same time, there is silence in heaven for about a half an hour. No singing, no praising, Just silence in heaven and stillness on earth. Maybe God was pausing to give the people on planet earth a chance to rethink their attitude. He doesn't want them to come under judgment. Maybe he pauses to give them time to reconsider. But sadly, we're going to see that instead of using this time to repent... The people on on earth dig in their heels further into rebellion. Now, it may be that every creature in heaven stands in sober silence because, see, now the scroll is now completely unrolled and open all the way. And all of heaven has become soberly aware of what's ahead for the inhabitants of the earth. Now, can't you see God's grace in the fact that he judges with a pause. But he can't stop his judgment forever. This final seal contains in it all the remaining judgments of the tribulation, including the trumpet and the bowl judgments. The time of God's final judgment has come. Now when Jesus opened the last seal, John saw seven angels standing silently before God. Each one of them was given a trumpet and were standing at attention, waiting for the moment when God would call each of them to carry out their special assignment. And during this time of silence, 
Another angel, holding a golden censer, approached the altar. He was given much incense to offer, it says. Now, do you remember what incense symbolized? We learned about that in an early chapter. What does incense symbolize? Prayers of the believers, right. God values the prayers of his children. God values your prayers. There is not one prayer that you offer that doesn't go noticed by God. Your prayers are described as incense, a sweet aroma or sweet fragrance to God. We saw this in chapter 6 with the prayers of the souls of the martyrs who were under the altar, remember? Do you remember what they were praying? They were saying, how long, Lord, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Well, this angel was given much incense to offer, along with the prayers of those martyrs and all of the saints, it says. And for centuries, God's people have been praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, haven't they? Well, now those prayers are about to be answered. God's kingdom is about to come. And his will is about to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, judgment is not God's first choice. He's patient. And he's, he'll hold off judgment as long as possible. But eventually his judgment will fall. And after the smoke of the prayers with the incense went up before God, verse 5 says that this angel filled the censer with fire from the altar. Now, what does the altar in heaven represent? It's that place of sacrifice. And from this golden altar, representing that perfect sacrifice, the shed blood of Jesus, that one perfect and sufficient sacrifice to pay for the penalty for sin for all time, from that altar... The golden censer was filled with fire. Now, why fire? Do you remember what fire represents? Represents God's judgment. Because people have a choice, they can accept that perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his blood, or they can reject that sacrifice and pay for the penalty for their own sin themselves. But the angel took the fire or the judgment of God, from the golden altar, and he hurled it to the earth. In other words, the prayers went up to God, and now the answer is finally coming down to earth. And it shatters the silence, or that temporary pause in judgment that we've seen in chapter 7. Now, before we get to the trumpet judgments, I want to tell you that there are differing opinions and interpretations about the seals and the trumpets and the bowl judgments, okay? Some believe that these series of three judgments are consecutive and increase in severity and intensity. Other people believe that the seals, trumpets, and bowls are actually the same series of one judgment, that there is one series of seven Judgments being described from three different perspectives. In other words, these are simply different viewpoints of the same thing. Now, I think we have a slide 
Um, if you compare the seven seals with the seven judgments, or the trumpet judgments, um, I don't know if you can see that right now, but if you go home and you just kind of list them out, in my opinion, they're completely different. I mean, with the first seal judgment, do you remember we had the, first, the four horses come out? The first horse was a white horse. Um, signifying peace first, but then it was coming to conquer. So we had the Antichrist coming first in peace and then conquering. But the first trumpet is hail, fire, and blood. And one-third of the earth is destroyed. The second horse was that red horse bringing war. But the second trumpet, it says a fiery mountain came in and, and one-third of the sea was contaminated. And all the, one-third of the sea life and a third of the ships The third seal judgment was the black horse, which suggests famine. But the third trumpet is the wormwood star that fell and contaminates one-third of the fresh water. So you can see, if you go through there and compare the two, that's just my opinion is that they aren't the same. Um, I just don't see how they are the same judgment from a different perspective. Now, not everybody agrees with me. That's just my opinion, okay? In my opinion, these judgments are consecutive. The seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal, and the seven bowls come out of the seventh trumpet. Each series is different, and it's increasing in in severity and intensity. And then there's a little pause. We'll see as we go through here, there's a pause or an interlude between each one. Now, I also want to mention that there are a lot of similarities between the trumpet judgments and the plagues God sent on Egypt in Moses' day. And there's a reason for that. If you remember when we studied Exodus, Pharaoh had hardened his heart against God and said, Who is this God that I should obey him? And God said, Well, I can answer that question for you. And he sent the ten plagues. He demonstrated who he was to the hard heart of Pharaoh. Well, in the same way, during these seven final years of Earth's history, during the tribulation, men and women will be living in rebellion, and they're going to be saying, who is God that I should submit my will to his? Don't we see that a lot today, even? And God's going to demonstrate the answer to that question through these seven trumpet judgments. Now, it's reasonable and logical to conclude that if the plagues in Moses' day were literal, then the plagues that are coming in the tribulation period are also going to be literal as well. Now, the sealed judgments were bad, but the trumpet judgments will be even worse. And in fact, they are so bad that there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes before they began. But once the angel hurled the censer filled with the fire from the altar and it hits the earth, the silence in heaven and earth is shattered. And the next wave of judgments is about to begin. The seven angels are standing there holding their trumpets. They look to Jesus and they wait for his command to sound them one at a time. The first angel put his trumpet to his lips and he blew which started the first trumpet judgment in motion. And this trumpet judgment targeted the land. Verse 7 says that hail and fire mixed with blood was hurled down to the earth. Now, we've all seen hail before, haven't we? 
But I guarantee you we have not seen anything like hail like this will be. And did you know that God has storehouses of hail somewhere? Did you know that? I never knew that until a few years ago when I read this verse. Write this down and look it up for yourself. In Job 38, God was talking to Job and he asked Job, Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? Ladies, God has storehouses of hail somewhere. I don't know where they are, but he's got them stored up for just such a time as this will be in the tribulation. Now, do you remember what the seventh plague on Egypt in the days of Moses was? I bet you can guess. What do you think it was? Hail mixed with fire. God also rained hail, fire, and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. But as John watches this scene unfold, he sees the first trumpet judgment, and it targets one-third of the earth's vegetation, and all of it was destroyed. And all of the green grass was destroyed. This will no doubt decimate crops and forests. So much of the grain that we would normally use for food and much of the lumber needed to build will be gone. The fires, I assume, will be so great that it will fill the air with smoke and ash, making it hard to breathe. So again, we see that the food supplies are going to be reduced. The global economy is going to take a hit. And health will be uh, affected on a massive scale. So the first trumpet, judgment affected the land. The second trumpet will affect the seas. Verse 8 says, something like a huge burning mountain was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned to blood. Now this is probably, I would assume, going to be something like a meteor or something that's on fire falling from the sky. Now, this reminds us of the first plague in Egypt. Do you remember that? When, when, when the waters were turned to blood? And as a result of the one-third of the sea turning to blood, one-third of the creatures of the sea will die. And in addition, one-third of the ships are going to be destroyed. Now, can you imagine the pollution from all that dead sea life Not to mention all the wrecked ships and who knows what cargo that they would be carrying. That will be dumped into the sea as well. We've seen oil spills in the the past, haven't we? And what destruction that causes. But this is going to be on a massive scale. And think about all those who depend on on the sea for jobs. The fishing industry will be decimated. The destruction of ships would uh, cause a disruption in the supply chains and global trade. That would have a devastating effect on uh, the economy. Not to mention another hit to the food supply. The third trumpet sounds, and this time it's targeting the fresh water on earth. A blazing star called Wormwood fell from the sky. By the way, did you know that God has named every star in his universe? That's what Psalm 147.4 says. And God, that, who knows the names of all the trillions of stars, knows the numbers of hairs on your head. That's the kind of God we have. But this star is called Wormwood, which means bitter. 
and it fell from the sky and when it um, broke up, it sounds like it broke up as it was entering the atmosphere and pieces of it shattered around and hit the fresh water, like the rivers and the streams and the ponds. And it contaminated one-third of the world's fresh water supply, making it unfit to drink. Now think of that. If we've got one-third of the fresh water supply affected now, people can last a while without food just from the things that maybe they've had stored up. But you can't last very long without fresh water. And if they did drink it, it's poisoned, so many, many people are going to die. So we've seen destruction of one-third of the land and vegetation. We've seen destruction of one-third of the seas and sea life and ships. We've seen one-third of destruction now of fresh water. The fourth trumpet judgment is on the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now, does John mean that one-third of each of these failed? For example, the sun, the moon, and the stars became one-third less bright? Well, that could happen. I mean, God could supernaturally cause them to dim by one-third, couldn't he? Or maybe it's from all of the smoke and debris that's filling the atmosphere. Or does he mean that for one-third of the time, there is no light at all? Or he could mean both. I don't know. But here's what we do know for sure. The earth depends on the sun to support all its life systems. So if you have one-third less sunlight on the earth, there's going to be one-third less energy available to support the life systems that we depend on. Imagine the drop in temperatures. Imagine the disruption to the Earth's weather, weather patterns. I imagine the tides, the sea's tides would be all messed up. How is that going to affect human health and food growth? Not to mention your moods. And on top of that, darkness is, more darkness is probably going to increase the opportunity for crime and evil. This fourth trumpet judgment reminds us of the ninth plague in Egypt when darkness fell on Egypt and lasted for three days. Remember that? Now, we aren't told how long this diminished light will be lasting here during the tribulation, but you can see the correlation. <coughs> now, it's hard to imagine John's feelings as he watched all of the suffering and destruction that will come on the world during the tribulation. And I'm sure that he did understand that God is just and that the inhabitants of the earth are receiving the wages of their own sin and their own choices. But you'd have to be pretty cold-hearted not to empathize at least a little bit with those remaining on the earth at this time to think what all they're going to have to go through. And John knew that it was only going to get worse because from his perspective, remember, he can see what's happening both in heaven and at earth, on earth. And from... His perspective, he could still see there were three angels standing there at attention who hadn't blown their trumpets yet, just waiting for Jesus' command. Now, have you noticed that even as these judgments get more severe, there is an overall emphasis on one-third? One-third of the land was destroyed. One-third of the trees. One-third of the seas. One-third of the fresh water. One-third of the sun, moon, and stars. 
This repeated pattern of one-third clearly demonstrates that these aren't just random natural events that are occurring. They are divine judgments. And did any of you ask, well, why not just get it over with all at once? Why just a third? Why just this gradual process? Well, because God is always merciful, waiting and wanting people to come to repentance. These are partial judgments striking only one-third. And they're meant to warn people and lead a rebellious world to repentance before the final curtain drops. So during this time, people will still have the opportunity to be saved if they will turn to Jesus. Now, have you also noticed that these judgments are targeting everything that people depend on instead of God? Things like water and food and light and things that set the normal rhythms of the day. God's doing that with the hopes that people will repent and choose to depend on him instead of the things of the world to be, and to be saved. Have you noticed that God often uses suffering to draw, get our attention away from the world and onto him? I don't know about you, but I, he's used that in my life. Has God ever used trials or suffering or disasters to get your attention? Is there anybody that he hasn't used those things on? He uses them sometimes to turn us around or to correct our ways or to get our attention or to lead us on a new path. And if he hadn't used those trials, would you have heard his voice without them? You know, sometimes we learn things about God through trials and suffering that we would never learn any other way. So these first four trumpet judgments will be so severe that no amount of government aid or relief efforts or advanced preparation will be able to help or to bring recovery. The hospitals, I'm sure, will be overcrowded and undersupplied and understaffed. Volunteer organizations will probably all be disbanded because everybody's now just trying to survive themselves. And governments throughout the globe will have already collapsed or at least will begin to crumble and collapse during this time. But as horrible as these four trumpets will be, nothing can prepare the world for the next three trumpets to come. But before the fifth trumpet sounds, God sends a special announcement from heaven. Look at verse 13. It says that John saw an eagle flying in midair, calling out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Now some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, Come on, a talking eagle. Is this a literal eagle? Well, if God can make a donkey talk like he did with Balaam, then I don't think he'd have any problem getting an eagle to talk. Do you? Now, some of your versions say that this is an angel. So maybe this is the eagle-like angelic creature that we learned about in chapter 4. But whatever this is, 
I imagine if you saw this flying around in midair talking to you, it's going to get your attention, won't it? And remember, whenever you see that phrase, inhabitants of the earth, or those who dwell on the earth, this is not just describing people simply who live on the planet, okay? It's describing those who have the character that, and, and the focus of their life is all about this earth. This is talking about people whose whole life and whole focus is sent around, centered on this world, their family, their careers, their bank account, their entertainment, their sports activities. That's all they think about. That's all they talk about. It's talking about those who have made this world their home. Those who are so focused on the temporary things that they haven't taken care of eternal matters. They've neglected the most important gift of all, the gift of God's forgiveness found through his son, Jesus Christ, whose birth we're going to be celebrating in, what, 10 days? Now we're under two weeks. You know, when Jesus was born, he was given two names. Emmanuel means God with us. God came to this earth in human form as a baby. He lived and walked among men and suffered just like we do. But he also showed his power as God through the signs and miracles he did while he was here. The second name, Jesus, means the Lord is salvation. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sin. He took on a human body and offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world, for your sins and mine. And then he rose from the grave to show that he is who he says he is and that his payment for sin has been received and accepted as payment in full. And before he returned to heaven, he promised that he was going to come back to take us to a place that he is preparing for us. And although Jesus is no longer here physically on this earth right now, he is still God with us. He promised to be with us always until the end of time. And so he sent his Holy Spirit not only to live with us, but to live inside of us as a guaranteed promise or guarantee on his promise to return. Now, this overall message of Revelation isn't doom and gloom. It's hope. It's meant to bring comfort to God's people as we face trials and difficult circumstances by reminding us that he is with us now, and he's also coming back for us. And he will overcome his enemies and our enemies because he is the ruler of all. He will have the final word. And since he is Emmanuel, we will forever be with him. This book, the Bible, from cover to cover, is a message of hope in the unconditional love of God to every single one of us who chooses and is willing to receive it. So as we prepare for Christmas, who is it that we're waiting for? 
Revelation is a reminder about the one who is coming again. And it motivates us to make sure that we're ready for an eternal celebration with our Lord. Now, the unbelieving world rejected Jesus when he came to earth the first time. It still is rejecting the message of the gospel now. And the unbelieving inhabitants of the earth are going to continue to reject the truth, even during the future outpouring of God's wrath and judgment. They will refuse to repent. And so they're going to have nothing to look forward to except for God's terrifying judgment. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, if you would, just everyone bow their heads and close your eyes for just a couple of seconds. And I ask that nobody leave right now for just a minute while the Holy Spirit may be working in hearts in this room. And as everyone is still, let me ask you just a couple of questions. What's the focus of your life right now? What is it that you think about? What is it that you talk about? What is it that you give your energy to? Are they the things of this world? Or of the next world? Are you focused on the temporary things? Or are you focused on eternal things? Have you become so focused on this world that you've neglected the most important issue of all, the forgiveness of your sin? If you were to die this afternoon, or if Jesus were to return right now, Would you know with absolute certainty that you would be welcomed into heaven? There's only one group of people who's going to be welcomed into heaven, and that's those who have been forgiven of their sin. For those who have exchanged their sin for Christ's perfect righteousness, if you remember our skit from last week. It's not your denomination, it's not your heritage, it's not your good works. The only way to be welcomed into heaven is by having your sins forgiven by Jesus. Have you taken care of that most important issue in your life? The book of Revelation tells us there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And he will reign forever as the king of kings. That's the message of the Christmas carol that we sing this time of year. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. But only those who have rejoiced over the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus will be ready to rejoice when he comes again as king. Only those who have prepared him room in their hearts by putting their faith in him for salvation and have received his robes of righteousness will be able to shout for joy when he returns. Have you made room in your heart for Jesus? Have you received him as your king? 
If you haven't, I want to encourage you for the next few minutes just to put, put your concerns about this world aside. Just set aside all the things that you have to do to get ready for Christmas and instead receive the gift of Christmas, which is God's gift of his son, Jesus. You can just talk to God in your heart right where you're sitting, knowing that he's in heaven listening to you right now, and he's ready to give you the gift of forgiveness if you're willing to ask him for it. And all you have to do is say something like this. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I know I have failed you in many, many ways, and I'm truly sorry for the sins in my life. But I believe what I've heard today, that you love me so much, and you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take the punish in my place for the, that I deserve from you for the sins that I've committed. And right now, I put my trust in what Jesus did for me. Not in my good works, but in what Jesus did for me to forgive me for all of my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. And help me to then spend the rest of my life following you. Amen. And Father, thank you for telling us the truth about the future. Thank you for providing that one way of escape from your judgment through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given. And as we leave for Christmas break, may we enjoy the celebration of Christmas because it's the true gift of Jesus that we can look forward to celebrating eternal life with you forever. Father, don't Allow all the bright lights and the busyness and the commercialism of the season replace the fact that the Lord has come and the Savior reigns. We don't worship a baby in a manger or a corpse on a cross. We worship the living, reigning Lamb of God who is at the center of all in heaven right now. May he be at the center of our hearts and celebrations, and may we be faithful to tell others this great news. And it's in the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, the coming King, that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing as we go out, joy to the world. Can we do that? I know you all know that. Let's stand up and belt it out.
You guys can practice on that over Christmas break, okay? You got Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful time with your family. Happy New Year, and we'll see you back here on January 10th. Merry Christmas.